2 Kings chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Ready? Alright, let's stand, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you, God, it's a beautiful day in this city, and it's a great day, God, for us to come together and to worship you, and to call you blessed, and to call you wonderful, and to call you merciful, and to call you gracious and awesome, and you are all those things, God, and so much, so much more. And as we come before you today, Father, we pray that you would help us to lift you up in our hearts, in our minds that you would help us to humble ourselves, that you would help us, God, to enjoy the life that we have before you, to love you and to honor you and to give glory to you, God. And as we come before you, God, I pray that you would help us to humble our hearts, even in this moment. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take over in this time and because you know, God, that um, there's nothing, God, that, that I or anyone else can say, God, that really will change people's lives. It's only you, God. Only you, God, have wisdom. And only you, God, have life. And only you, God, have the things that we need to draw closer to you and to become more like you and to gain eternal life. And uh, so we honor you and love you and give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I had forgotten about the joys of being on 6th Avenue uh, in summertime. Uh, We've been on six for a long time, and then we went to Harlem, and now we're back, and uh, it's Puerto Rican Day, evidently. It's Puerto Rican Parade Day. D- Dominican? Are you sure? Okay. I thought that it was Puerto Rican Day, evidently. Oh, somebody fact-checked. Okay, all right. So it's, Puerto- so it's Dominican Day, and uh, there, there's, it's, always the, um, it's always the Latin American um, people groups that get to march down sixth. Um, it, when it's uh, Chinese New Year's, we, we march in Chinatown, down Canal Street. Um, but when it's uh, the Dominicans or the Haitians or the Puerto Ricans, they, they march down six, which is fun. Um, but every, every Sunday in July. Anyways, so they're going to start at noon, um, which means that, um, you know, like, uh, at, like all the award shows, like when you uh, go on for too long, they put on music to drown you out. So that's going to start in uh, supposedly 39 minutes, but in actuality, they start a lot earlier with the drumming and the warm-ups. So I'm going to get shouted down here in a moment, um, which, is, uh, which is why we gotta, we got to move. Okay, all right. Oh, also, happy birthday, Noah. Yeah! Not, everybody, not everybody has a birthday. Um, I'm just kidding. Not everybody has a birthday on, on Sunday, uh, so it's a very special thing um, to have a cakeable birthday. Um, we'll call them cakeable if, they're, uh, if they fall in a church event because otherwise you don't get to bring a cake to church. Um, okay. I don't know if we're going to make it to Brighton Park today. We're, we're going to try, but, um, but we, we might need to meet somewhere else. Um, we can actually eat in the lobby here um, if, if we want, because I don't know if we're going to be able to cross 6th Ave. Um, so we'll, um, we'll see. I'll let the ushers take care of that. But I just realized, I remember, I remember um, uh, whenever, whenever there's a parade outside, I always think of Kara, um, <laughs> who's no longer with us. Um, one year, oh, this is before most of your time, you guys weren't here, but um, one year they had um, the Pride Parade, which I can't remember which, uh, which day it was, and so Kara, um, who was awesome, um, but I think lives in like Minnesota or something now, um, Kara got a, uh, a rainbow flag and she went into the, uh, to, she marched with them and told them that Jesus loved them, 
uh, and um, and we were having a lunch at Bryant Park, and she was telling everybody Jesus loves you, and you know just with her rainbow flags. And then she got kicked out until she came back to us. Um, but I, I thought it was funny. And then we were going to start a humility parade, but um, that hasn't happened yet. I'm still waiting for someone to take out the banner of the humility parade. Um, all right. Anyways, I'll just leave that out there for anyone who's bored and jobless or has some free time. Okay. Um, that would be that would be a real a real real pleasure. Second Samuel, uh, First Samuel, sorry, chapter two. The beginning of First Samuel talks about a very important time in Israel's history where God is um, God is in the middle of a transition. And whenever God is in the middle of a transition, interesting, exciting things happen because uh, because people don't love to transition. We like to for the things to be uh, as they always are. And I think um, Peter actually talks about this, I think in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, maybe 1 Peter. And he talks about how people deny that the judgment of the Lord is going to come. And you say, because things have always, like, and I, I, I totally get the argument, right? Like, because the prophecy of the judgment of the Lord and the great day of the Lord and, you know, all these great things happening. And people are like, okay, it's not going to happen because um, look at today. It's just like yesterday, which is just like the day before, which is just like the day before that. Like, you know, wh- like what, what reason do we have to expect? Because day just goes on, day after day after day. What reason do we have to expect that God is one day going to do these like crazy, outrageous, and amazing things that are different from just normal everyday life? Do you know? Like, why should we believe that? And, and Peter says, well, they explicitly deny um, the flood and how, you know, in Noah's day, God flooded the earth and all of a sudden everything was just as it was until one day it wasn't. And, um, and we as humans tend to fall into this lull where just because something is what it was uh, and has been that way for a while, we forget that God is always on the move and God is always doing new things. We forget actually that seasons come and seasons go and that, that, um, that sometimes there are gradual transitions and sometimes there are very sudden transitions, but God is transitioning. Like he's not, things are not static, even though it may seem that way. Do you know? All of us have probably some routines in life. Do you know? Um, like on Fridays we don't work, or on Thursday afternoons we go to Equinox, or on Tuesday, you know, at lunchtime we get, you know, Sophie's Cuban, which is right there and delicious. And I was just thinking about that. Um, or you know, on Monday nights we get Chick Fil A, and we always have like these routines in life, um, and uh, um, and and then it just seems like life just goes on and on. But that's not the way it is at all. God transitions like often, every generation or so. There's a major transition that happens in God, and the beginning of First Samuel deals with that transition. What is the transition? Well. Um, the transition is uh, in the governance of God's people, okay? So prior to this, as you probably know, the people of God were led by a series of judges, um, most of whom were like, eh. <laughs> some of whom were like, hey. But like, you know, some were like, eh. Uh, and then some were like worse than eh. Anyways, um, and Eli the priest, and the judges were different types of people. Some were military leaders, some were kings, some were uh, uh, psalmists, uh, you know. Many of them were military leaders, but Eli is the last judge and Eli is a priest, and he's uh, of the family of, of, of Levi. But God is not satisfied with Eli and with his family. And so God is going to transition now, and he's going to transition into the time of what? This is not actually a very difficult question. Into the prophets, well, which, and then eventually the kings. Um, uh, but, but, but Samuel becomes the first prophet, right? And um, what is wonderful about this story as it explains to you why. Okay, I'm going to skip 1 Samuel chapter 1, which talks about the story of Hannah and then, uh, and then Samuel being given over to the Lord. Um, so, and then we're going to read here in 1 Sam, uh, Samuel sorry, chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, 
the, pe- the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling, would take a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or a cauldron or a pot. And all of the fork brought up the priest would take for himself. This is what um, they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, in verse 17, I love this. Um, well, love is a very um, interesting word here because I, I, it, this is one of those verses that when you read it, um, hopefully the fear of the Lord rises in your heart because it, it's just not true that you can do what you want to do forever and God does not care. And so 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17 says, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make from a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. 22, when Eli was very old, he kept hearing that all of his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all these people. No, my sons, it is no good uh, report that I hear the people uh, of the Lord speaking abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father for it was a will of the Lord to put them to death. 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Oh, I hope I get to 2 Kings chapter 9 because I love that story, but we may or may not. We'll see. Um, uh, this is a, a fairly long story that covers about three chapters, so I'm just going to, I just read to you the highlight and you can uh, go back and read the rest of the story, but it's a story of transition where God is going from the judges um, uh, into the prophets. Why did he do it? Well, I mean, there's lots of ways to answer that question, you know? It's just like, if you were investigating a, a plane crash, for instance, you could say, well, you know, why, why did the plane crash? And you could say, well, um, you know, there was insufficient lift over the wings. And that would be true, but like, that's not a false statement, you know? But that's not necessarily like the most compelling reason. That's not the most direct reason. The most direct reason may be, well, you know, the pilot, <laughs> uh, you know, turned the flaps, you know, the, uh, the wrong angle or, you know, something of that sort, or maybe the engine blew out. But there's lots of different ways to explain things. And, and here, um, you could explain, you could just say, well, you know, God is sovereign and God has a narrative and, 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 and God is moving unto the prophets. Except that's not the way the Bible explains a story, right? The way that the Bible explains his story is not that God was done using the judges. It was not that God was done using the priests. It was that there was a certain man who was appointed judge. His name is Eli, and he had two sons. And this man and his, his not, not him, Eli is not, is not talked about as a sinner. He's not talked about as an evil man. But this man had two sons, Hophni and, and Phinehas. I'm sure this is not the Phineas that Phineas is named after. There's, I think, four Phineases in the Bible, um, and uh, so I'm pretty sure this is not the one. <laughs> but, but anyways, um, but Hophni and Phineas, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, um, and they were both bad, and they were bad in this way. The Bible explains exactly how they were bad. What, what does it say? It says that they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Um, you may not 
know or, or remember the various laws about you know, what part of the offering uh, the priest was allowed to take for themselves and what part had to be offered to the Lord. Um, and because you may not know, um, the writer of 1 Samuel, which is probably Samuel, um, gives you the details here for you. What happened is that um, they, were, they were boiling meat before the Lord, but the, uh, but the sons of Eli got tired of eating boiled meat, which I understand. And so they were, they were, they were eating boiled meat before the Lord. And, and so they said, we don't want to boil our meat, we want to roast our meat. Again, Entirely understandable. This is not like, you know, were they crazy? What are they doing? Like, you know, it's understandable. And so, and so they said, okay, so instead of taking bold meat, we don't want you to give it to us after it's what, which was the law of the Lord. They said, instead, we need to give it to you when we're raw. Now, the people recognized that they were breaking God's law when they asked for this, right? And so they said, well, you can't do this. It's not allowed by God. And they said, well, if you don't allow us, then we'll, we'll take it by force. And then, you know, they also slept with the women who were serving in the temple. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's not good. But the primary sin that, that it points to is that they held in contempt the things that, uh, um, that God considered to be valuable. And this is, this is like... This is an incredible principle, um, which, I, which I really love. Uh, to be used by God and continue to be used by God, you need to value what God values and honor what God honors. And you cannot hold in contempt things that are very valuable to God. And it may not make any sense to you why, as a priest, you're not allowed to have roast meat. You have to eat boiled meat. Like, that may not make sense to you, but your opinion, in my opinion, does not matter. It's only God's opinion that matters. Does that sort of make any sense? All right. And so the, the Lord proclaims judgment over the house of Eli, which comes next in this next section. He says that everybody in your house is going to be killed except one man. And that man is going to go and he's going to weep and he's going to see the destruction of your house. And ultimately that man is going to die too. And, and, um, and, and, and then God says a sign, as a sign that this is going to happen to you, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will die on the same day. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then Eli says, well, you know, if, if this is what the Lord wants, then, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, blessed be the Lord. It, it's, it's very interesting um, this, this dynamic. There's so many interesting things about this story, and there's so many interesting things because this story explains why transitions happen and, and why God forces people out of, uh, um, of a position and then put new people into that position. Does that make any sense? And this is very interesting. And the reason to me that this is very interesting is because um, I feel like the church is in a time of transition that is, it's not like, you know, like one of those, like it's just happening right the second, but it feels like, 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 um, sometimes when I think about what's going on in the church and just, it, it feels like, like slow motion, actually. Like, God's not moving quickly, although one wishes that God would move quickly. Um, that God's not moving quickly, but God is moving, like, very, very slowly. But that nevertheless, there's a transition that is happening because the church, as we know it, has lost like it's standing in society and influences, right? like every, like everything everywhere, like everything has gone against, you know, the gospel and everything. And I don't think that God is just sitting in heaven not caring at all. I, I, I think that he has a plan, but, but that, that he's taking the church into transition and we have to, we really have to understand this. I, I think COVID exposed a lot of that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't really want to comment at, um, um, on um, the causes or the signs of it very much, as much as I want um, to just point us to the things that we're supposed to pay attention to and how to stay in the place of being the people that, um, that God will, like, you know, the direction God is going rather than the direction that God is leaving, if that 
um, makes any sense. And so there's a prophecy that's proclaimed against Eli, and this is like what's really interesting, right? So the prophet says that everybody in your house is going to be killed except one, and, and, and then the, eventually that guy's going to kill, and the sign is that your two sons are going to die on the same day. All right, so the two sons do die on the same day, right? In chapter four, um, the, the Israelites go out to battle against the Philistines. They take the ark, uh, and, um, and the ark is stolen by the Philistines, and the two sons of Eli die. But the interesting thing is that the prophecy, the destruction of Eli's house actually does not happen for a generation. Do you remember when Eli's house is destroyed? David is fleeing from Saul, and David goes to a place called Nob, where there is a temple. And in that place, David and his men are hungry. And the, he goes into the temple, and he asks for bread. And they give him bread, and he asks for a weapon, and they give him the sword of Goliath. Do you remember? And then Saul has a spy in that temple, and the spy goes to tell Saul. And Saul summons all the priests, and he kills all of them, except that one man named Abiathar runs away. And it's a very interesting um, fulfillment, because when the, when the prophecy is fulfilled, it points back to this story and to this prophecy um, of, uh, of destruction against Eli's house. But here's the interesting thing. The men who were killed by Saul were not bad men. And they did not have any of the same problems that Eli had and, and his sons. Like none of the same problems. In fact, they stood for God. They served faithfully in the temple. And they recognized the anointing that was upon David. And they were with him. And it's very interesting that the judgment of the Lord, the wiping out of Eli's house, came against a generation that was not the generation that sinned, but a later generation that did not sin and did not deserve it. Like in that sense. Make sense, not make sense, make sense, not make sense. And if you sort of, if you understand the way that God works, and then later Abiathar serves David, but at the end of, uh, at the end of Abiathar's life, um, in, in the time of Solomon's kingship, Abiathar supports uh, um, uh, one of Solomon's uh, brothers for, for kingship, and then so Solomon has him killed. And, and so that ends Eli's line completely. But it's, you know, 100 years later. Um, what's really interesting is that the way that God works transitions is not what we would expect. It's not, it's not justice in man's eyes necessarily. It's not, you know, you sin and then, you know, the police catch you and then you get a speeding ticket or whatever other sin you've committed. Um, I think most of us have, have, have sped, so can relate to that. Um, you know, you get, it was so funny this morning. When we were coming here, we parked and then we parked right on the corner here and, the, and a very, a wonderful police officer um, is like, hey, you don't necessarily want to park there. And I was like, oh, you don't want to park it. And they said, they're going to tow all the cars because it's, it's too close to the parade. And, he, and so we had a very nice um, dialogue. And then I drove off and go, went to park somewhere else. And, and Esther was like, wow, that is the nicest interaction you've ever had with a police officer. And I'm like, what are you saying? Like, what are you saying? Anyways, okay. So it's, but it justice doesn't work that way. And that's not true, by the way. I have nice interactions with police officers all the time. A anyways, um, anyways, rabbit trail. But the point is that, uh, it doesn't necessarily work the way that we think. Sometimes it's not that God judges the family line, but the judgment didn't come against the people that had done the wrong. It came against their children. And when it came against their children, the entire line was wiped out. And there was no like, sense or reason in that time unless you understood that judgment had been pro um, proclaimed against the family by a prophet a generation ago. Okay, this stuff is it, it's very difficult for us to follow and to understand because we typically do not see or experience or process the world this way in these long waves, the way that, the way that God sees. Like if, if, if something happened to, uh, you, know, to you uh, or to your friend, if they got into a tragic accident, for instance, and died when they were young, you would not necessarily think to yourself, you would, like, tragic accident, you would not necessarily think to yourself, oh, you know, the, well, the Lord pronounced judgment on their family four generations ago. <laughs> And, and that entire like, way of thinking is, is, is very far from Christianity today. 
Do you understand? Does that make any sense? And yet the Lord, is, God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. There's no such thing as an accident. Like everything that happens is, is, is for a reason. It's, it, it's incredible that, um, that when the Old Testament, especially when it tells stories, it tells stories that, that, um, that give you a sense that God is always in control. And he's always moving. He's always doing something in a way that like the New Testament does. Like sometimes in the life that we have now, we think that like actions just happen or that like God is not observing things or he's not aware or does that like make any sense? For instance, like in this story we just read, that, that um, what happened, like Hannah was, was, was barren, right? She didn't have children. And what happened was that she prayed. And when she prayed, did God answer her prayer immediately? Absolutely not. A long time passed. And then the Bible actually says, and that a kind of knew his wife, which is, you know, the physical part, you have to do that. But then it says, and the Lord remembered Hannah. And then she got pregnant. And being able to understand and to see these things is very important because we want to be on the right side of whatever God is doing, whatever God is doing it, yeah? All right. And so, um, so it explains it this way, right? That the sons of Eli were in contempt and they, they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt in verse 17. And it, it, it says this in contrast with Samuel, that Samuel, like, he served faithfully in the house of God. And the verse 26 talks about Samuel, and he says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. I don't know if um, you recognize this verse. This verse appears, this phrase appears, continue to grow in stature and in favor with God and man, appears one other time in the Bible. In Luke chapter 2, I think it's verse 52, and it says it about Jesus. And Luke almost surely, because this is a bizarre phrase, it almost surely is, is anybody that would be a student of the Old Testament reading Luke would recognize that Luke is talking about Jesus coming into maturity in his ministry the same way that Samuel came into maturity in his ministry. In other words, that, that, that God in raising up Jesus was rejecting um, uh, the religious order of the day and in bringing about a new ministry that we all know and understand just from Sunday school and everything else we understand. But it was the same with Samuel and Samuel was actually the, the, the prototype for the way that, that God brought Jesus onto the scene. Is that, hopefully that makes sense. All right. And so in contrast with, with Samuel, the reason that God transitioned Eli and his family out was because they held the offering of the Lord in contempt. Th- this, is, this is incredible because, um, because we sometimes honestly just believe that these things are allowed to persist and that God doesn't care. He cares very, very, very much. What was Eli's sin in this case? Eli's sin was not. And what was it that Eli did wrong that caused his family line to die off? It was not that, that, that he himself was one doing the sinning. It was that his sons were sinning and he didn't do anything about it other than just saying, hey, you really shouldn't do that. And he didn't have the courage to get rid of his sons and to say, okay, you can't serve as priests anymore. Like, if you guys keep serving as priests, God's going to get rid of our family. Like, and so you can't serve anymore. The priesthood is more significant than, than you guys. He wasn't willing to do the confrontation. He wasn't willing to remove them. He wasn't willing to, to, you know, to get rid of them, even though they were his sons. And because of that, the whole family eventually suffered and, 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 and the family was gone, right? The difference, the opposite of contempt is honor. And, and, and what God expects of us, if we want to be the Samuels rather than the, the, the Phineases and, and Hophnes, if, if we want to be those that God raises up in stature and in favor before him, what does, what does that actually mean? Stature is not, I don't, I don't think that stature is um, physical height, even though I'm pretty sure that Samuel did grow, um, you know, from the time that he was a baby until he was an adult. I, I think that Samuel did grow in height. I don't think that that's what the Bible is, is saying. 
I think when it says that he grew in stature, I think what he's talking about is the way that God saw him, which um, is very interesting. So, like, um, well, we were talking about this yesterday, but like, we have more kids in the church now than um, ever before. Like, there are eight kids, and soon, if you guys keep getting married and being productive, we're gonna have more kids than we have members. <laughs> and so, we're just gonna put a halt on this. No one else is allowed to get pregnant for a while until we get some more members. Um, I'm just kidding. That there's a joke. Um, can't stop that. That's an unstoppable force right there. Um, all right. So, um, but but um, when you have kids and when you raise your kids, it's one thing I, I realized that like. Um, the way that you perceive your children changes over time, that they grow in stature in your eyes. Not just physical stature, but they grow in stature. The way that you relate to them changes from one season to the next. Like when they're babies, you know, like, like, like that big, you don't expect anything out of them. But then as they grow, actually, the way that you think about them changes. You don't talk to them as if, you know, they don't know anything anymore. And, and you have to explain yourself when you're asking them to do something because, you know, because then they benefit for reasons. And um, their stature actually grows in your eyes so that it moves from obedience at some point to friendship to like to to you know heirdom and like all that all that sort of stuff. There's actually a transition in the way that you relate even to your own children as they grow. And I think that what the Bible is saying with this verse here in Second Samuel chapter two and in Luke chapter two is that the way that God related to in Luke to Jesus in Samuel Samuel, the way that God related to Samuel changed and it grew as he was faithful before the Lord. Isn't that like incredible? Okay, I don't know if you necessarily think that's incredible. That's really incredible. Because, um, uh, and also obviously favor. Favor, as I told you before, is I think favor just means that God likes you. Um, and, and you can have favor with God and you can have favor with men, but I think favor just means that God likes you. But the stature part is really interesting to me because when Samuel was young, God loved him and God saw him a certain way. But when, when Samuel grew up, God saw him differently. And the Bible says that actually that as Samuel grew up, that the Lord was with him and did not allow any of his words to fall to the ground and to not happen. That's, this is like, incredible stuff like it is incredible the way that Samuel in being faithful in the house of God and being faithful to God's voice and being faithful in serving God the way that that God like used him and the way that God brought him into this place where he was prophet over Israel and everything that he said happened I, I don't know if that seems incredible to you that seems very incredible to me the the interesting thing of course is that there is actually a transition in our relationships with God that when we are young, we can say things and God doesn't really take them very seriously. We can pray things and God doesn't necessarily take them very seriously. We can wish for things and they may or may not happen. But as we mature in the Lord, God will actually look at you and relate to you differently. And as you grow up in God, it's, it's very interesting. Like the day may come where like you ask God for something and he'll give it to you, whether or not it's good for you. Because at that point, he'll expect you to recognize the difference and allow you to live with the consequences of what you've desired because your stature will have increased before the Lord. And obviously, the goal is to gain wisdom and insight before that time so that we don't stumble into that, like, into that mess. Does that like, sort of make any sense? But there is a process by which we grow in stature before the Lord. And it's incumbent upon us to actually walk that out, to not um, think of ourselves as children, right? There's... Um, for those of you that work, you know that there's, there's, there's different ways that you can approach your job. Like one is that like, you know, I'll do whatever my boss tells me to do, but unless I'm, until I'm tasked with doing something, I just sit here and play my phone. And there's a different way of working, uh, which, and these are not like total, you know, whatever. There's, there's a spectrum in the middle. There's, there's a different way of working where it's like, okay, I always want to learn something new. I always want to see what's up and I always want to try to be helpful. Like no matter like what's going on, I just, I want to try to be helpful and I'm going to lean in. I'm always going to try to do something. I'm not just going to wait and chill. Does that 
sort of make any sense? And the way that you position yourself determines the way that everybody else sees you, determines the way that your boss sees you and your coworkers and your team members and everything else. Like you could be the guy who's like not really trying to go anywhere and just chilling, and that guy is probably gonna have the same job for 40 years. Or you can be the one who's leaning in and trying to be helpful and trying to do something new and trying to learn and trying to you know, move up in the firm, and you'll probably be promoted as often as Lily is, you know? And um, which, I don't know, it's like once a year, once every 15 months, something like that. But, like, but it, it, the, the difference is in the way that, that you position yourself. And the way that you position yourself determines the way that other people see you. And it determines whether or not you're growing in stature. And it's the same with God. Like it does not do anything uh, in, in terms of the way that we like grow before God. It doesn't do anything for us to... Uh, uh, just you know, what, uh, come to church once a week and uh, and and you know, go home and live our life. You know, the same as it was. The question and is like, what has changed week to week in the way that you relate to God, in the way that you live, in the choices that you make before the Lord? Because I don't want God to see me as a toddler in the spirit when I'm like, you know, 65 years old. Like I don't, like I don't want God to be like, I have to treat you the same as I treated you when you were 16. Because in all this time, in the 50 years that have elapsed, you haven't actually done anything to change the way that God sees you. Does that, hopefully that makes sense. And what Samuel did is that he wasn't just like growing, I, I, I think, honestly, he wasn't just growing in the temple, like, you know, in terms of his height, but he was growing in the way that God perceived him because of the way that he stewarded himself. And so, um, of course, you all know the story of when God first called Samuel. And when God first speaks to him, right? And the first word that God gives Samuel is a confirmation of this prophecy against Eli. That's really hard. I don't know if you've ever been to prophet school. They will tell you that like you're not allowed to prophesy judgment or condemnation against anyone. Okay, so the Lord speaks to Samuel in the middle of the night and the very first word that God gives Samuel is what? That judgment is gonna come against the house of Eli, a confirmation of this, of this judgment word. And I mean, you know, the next day Eli said, what did God tell you? And Samuel tells him. Like it, it's, it's not a very easy thing for you to do. It'd be much better if God says, hey, I have a word for you. Go tell your friend over there that I love them and they're awesome and they're going to win the lottery next week. You know, I mean, well, if that doesn't happen, then you're, you know, then you're in trouble. But, but you know, those, are, those are really easy words to give. But this one is like, you know, go tell the guy whose house you're sleeping in, who you're training under, who is a judge of Israel, that judgment is going to come against your house. And he's like seven years old or something like that. I mean, that's really rough. But those are the sort of things, that's the type of leaning in that, that will allow your stature to increase before the Lord and to, that will allow the way that he perceives you to change. When God is ready to transition, which I think that God is doing now, that, and that doesn't mean that like, you know, famous people will fall and other people become famous. I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is a, a, um, uh, a recognition and understanding of what God is doing in this generation to save this generation. Like, that's what I'm interested in. Uh, I, what, what I want to know is, God, what are you doing today that will allow this generation to be saved? Because there's no program that I know of. There's no, uh, there, there's just, I don't, I, I haven't seen anything that is particularly effective against the culture that we are part of. Um, it has nothing to do with people taking different positions and who gets to wear the crown now. I, I don't care about that. What I want to know is, God, how are you changing things up so that we can reach the people that are around us, so that we can not play church, but so that we can reach the people that are like, around us and make a difference in their lives, do you know? 
why shouldn't we have a humility parade? Okay, that's a different thing for a different day. But, but th that is what I'm interested in. And I think I th that's coming, right? Um, and here's the thing. I don't want to be, like, when that comes, I don't want to be the two-year-old that, like, mom and dad don't tell you where you're going because you don't know. Like, do you know, like when, we, when Eliza was a baby, we, we'd be going on vacation somewhere and we'd just be like, you know, Eliza, we're going on a big adventure. And, she, you know, she would just come. And now, you know, we get in a car, Eliza, where, where are we going? We'd be like, we're going to Florida. Like, or, you know, wherever. Like, like now she gets to know. And it's the same thing. I, I, don't, I don't want, when God is doing things, for God to treat me that way. And, and he's not rude or anything. It's just that he has to relate to different people based on, you know, where they are in their relationship with him. But I don't want God to relate to me in such a way where it's like, God is doing things, but, you know, no eyes seen, no ears heard. And, and, and like, that's not a promise. That's a judgment. Like, I, I, I don't want to be the guy that did not see and did not hear what God is doing. I want to be the one that is, that, you know, God's like, oh, we're going to Florida. <laughs> like, great, let's go there. And, but that's how I feel sometimes. I don't know if you can relate to that. I feel like the world is falling apart all around us. I know for certainty that God has a plan and God has a way to reach the generation that we're a part of. And I, but I feel like nobody has seen and nobody has heard. And, and, and that's because I think, I'm not saying that nobody's faithful. What I'm saying is that like we as people need to position ourselves like Samuel so that we're standing before the Lord and giving honor to the things that God values so when God is ready to speak, that he speaks to us, right? All right, nine more minutes. I gotta, today, gotta, 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 gotta do this. All right, Second Kings chapter nine. Honor the things that God honors and holding contempt the things that God holds in contempt is one of, is a very basic thing and yet very difficult for a lot of us because we don't like rules. And we don't like other people's opinion mattering more than ours. We don't like that. Do you like, who likes that? No? Okay. There are some indecisive people in this room that like it when other people's opinion matters more than theirs. But most of us don't like it. Most of us like for our opinions to matter a lot. You see, already getting shouted down here. It's not, it's not even noon yet. All right. So honoring what God honors is very difficult because typically it'll cost us something. In Phineas and Fafni's case, it costs them steak. You know, instead of boiled, boiled lamb, which is, can be delicious, but again, you know, every day, you know, it's just, I, so I get it. Um, in first, uh, Second Kings chapter 9, there's, there's a very difficult story here, actually, um, and it's another story of transition. The house of Ahab has sinned very greatly against God, and Ahab's time is gone, but God is ready to wipe out the house of Ahab. And what God does in wiping out the house of this is this is a little morose. I should have thought about this. This is like two two stories of God just wiping people out. Okay, it's a, sorry. Next time there'll be some more balance. This is not. Didn't really think about um, how this would come across. In wiping out the house of Ahab, Elisha appoints Jehu as king, or anoints Jehu as king over Israel. And this is very difficult. And th there's several reasons that it's difficult. But the main one, the obvious one, is that this is treason. And anybody that associates with Jehu is in a position to be killed, right? Second Kings chapter nine, then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophet and said, tie up your garment and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and take him into the inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it over heads. And says, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. And then open the door and flee, do not linger. Um, God knew that there was already a king over Israel. 
And it doesn't seem to me that God is particularly bothered about the fact that there is a king over Israel. God just says, go and anoint a new one. This is very difficult for us because this is one of the, the reasons, I think, that ministry is very political. Um, there was years ago um, a missionary in India um, who had, uh, she had set up this little work in, in, this, in this city, and it was, a, it was a really wonderful work. It was, you know, they were getting people saved and bringing them in and helping them. It was, there's nothing wrong with it. And uh, she, was, she was of uh, an Indian American herself, and she you know, related to the people very well. But, um, but India is a very large place, you know? over a billion people. And, and that, that mission network decided that they were going to send in a second person to India because as there was a second um, guy who, totally unrelated to the first one, um, felt called there and wanted to do something there, so they sent a second one. And th um, the first lady, instead of saying, wow, amazing, another person coming to India to help, there's a billion people here, we could really use some help, um, decided to quit the network and leave because she said, I am the, mi the missionary over, I am the apostle over India, and nobody else gets to send missionaries here except with my permission. Now that sounds crazy, does it not? And yet, you and I face this stuff every day, all the time. There's no city you can go into that the people that are already there don't say, well, what, what business do you have being here? Like, you know, we're here. Like, we, we are the church of this city. There's no campus you can go to that the established ministries will not be like, welcome, like, this is like, not like that. They're like, this is our ministry. You don't have any right to be there. It, it, the attitude seems totally ridiculous, and yet we face it all the time, every day. Fact is, New York City doesn't belong to anyone. It doesn't belong to you, doesn't belong to me. It, none of it does. And yet, like, it, and, and yet, like, we all, like, it happens so very often in ministry that, like, we begin to believe that just because God has sent us somewhere that it belongs to us and somehow we have right to control what goes on there. This, I love this story because there is a king in Israel and Elijah says, this is the word of the Lord, go take and anoint another one. Like, it just... It's very difficult to understand unless you believe that God is God and we don't have little fiefdoms under God, that God is God and we don't have any right to do anything other than to obey him and follow him, do you know? But that's what makes it really hard for the men. See, because this is something that becomes very unpopular now, so you kind of understand the political dynamics now, right, of this, of this story, hopefully a little bit you've experienced in your own life. All right, so you understand the dynamics now, and you understand how difficult it is now for this to be accomplished, because of course when you anoint the guy king, the guy who's already king is going to kill him. So thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel, then open the door and flee, do not linger. That's good advice, because when the killing starts, you don't want to be there. Like, you're just a prophet. You don't have to be killed. Anoint the guy and let him be killed, and then you leave. All right, so the young man... This is good advice. No, Elisha's always, he's giving good advice. So the, that, see, that, you, you can see the, the closed parentheses. That's not part of the word of the Lord. That's Elisha's advice. All right. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, to which of us all? And he said, to you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured oil on his head, saying to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of the servants of the Lord. And the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I'll cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the, son of ba um, like the house of Basha, the son of um, Ahijam. And the dog shall eat Jezebel out of the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. And then he opened the door and fled. So he took the advice. He expounded a little bit on the prophecy. He made it a little bit bigger than Elisha had given it to him. That happened sometimes when people prophesy, by the way. 
And uh, so he expanded on the prophecy, but, you know, and, and then it all ends up being true, though. Um, and, and then he takes Elisha's advice, and he opens the door and flees. Okay, so here's the interesting part is what happens next, right? The word of the Lord has been given. What, the, what is interesting here is that Jehu is the one who's been anointed king, but is a treasonous move. And then what is going to happen next? And when Jehu came, 11, out to the servants of his master, they said to him, is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, you know this fellow and his talk. <laughs> Jehu's trying not to die. And they said, that is not true. Tell us now. And then he said, thus and so he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel, blah, 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 blah. Then in haste, 13, every man of them took his garment and put it under him and um, on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And that is a bold and very difficult thing to do. And that is a contrast. That is what look, it looks like when men honor God. Because notwithstanding every reason to not believe, this is not a prophecy that's very easy to believe. There's already a prophet. This guy's not even the prophet. It's not Elijah. It's not like Elijah himself came. It's, you know, he took him to a back room. He didn't do it openly. Like, it just, like, it, it's, it's, it is very secondhand knowledge. Prophecy, it's not, like, there's every, if you were ever to be skeptical of prophecy, this is one of those that you should be like, you know, I really need some confirmation, Lord. Like, I, you know, an angel or something would help because if we agree with him, we're all dying. And then he goes back into the room with those, everybody is a servant of the same master, which is, you know, a son of Ahab, Right? Everybody is, is are on the same page. All right. And so he gets back in there, and he doesn't even want to tell him. He's like, oh, I'm, you know, like, no, nah, nothing happened. Don't worry about it. I mean, Jehu's smart. He's not stupid. He knows what's going to happen. Or at least he thinks he does. And then he says, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and to the man, the reaction is, they put their garments underneath them, bowed on them, blew the trumpet. And they're like, Jehu is king. This is an incredible, incredible, incredible response. Somehow, in the midst of... Of, of, of the evil that is going on in Ahab, you have a, a, a collection of military leaders that are so attuned to the voice of God that give such honor to what it is that God is doing that though it goes against every instinct and every law of the land, they follow it without, like, without anything. There's no confirmation. There's nothing. Like, there's no reason to believe that this is actually what God has done. And yet there they are. And there they proclaim. And I mean, they stake their lives on this one act. This is incredible. And God, I think, is, is desiring, 12 o'clock, time to close, music is going to start. But God is desiring I, I, that, that we learn to become people like this. That we learn to recognize the things that God considers to be valuable and we learn to follow them at every expense. The exact opposite is what the sons of Eli did. They took the things that were actually their right and they just perverted and polluted and corrupted and took advantage of everything they could take advantage of. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable that, that, that that's what they did. And yet it is what they did. And you and I were like, oh, we're better. We're not necessarily. We are not necessarily. There is nobody that is where they are because it's, random. You have a job, God gave it to you. You have a family, God gave it to you. You have money in, your, in, in, in the bank, God gave it to you. You have an opportunity, God gave that to you. And we can sit around and we can be like, well, you know, God gave me $150,000 a year so that I can eat at every Michelin star restaurant. He did not, actually. And it's tempting to think that, but he did not. He, he, there is an objective. There is a, 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 a something that God would like for us to be a part of. There is, it, whether it's in your, in, your, in your career, in your family, in your building, in your neighborhood, in your campus, like whatever it is, he has us there for a reason. 
And we could, we could hold it up with contempt and just be like, well, you know, I'm, bo- I'm born a priest. I'm always going to pre- be, be a priest. I might as well, you know, push the boundaries on what's mine. We could do that. Or we could say we humble ourselves to give honor to the things that God has entrusted us with. And every situation that we have, that we're, there's, there's an open door, there's, a, there's, there's an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and to honor the Lord in our lives, whatever that looks like. We take that. And then we take the next one, and we take the next one, and we take the next one, and we take the next one, because those choices to give honor to God, whether big or small, they increase our stature before the Lord. God does not, um, he, he's not reactionary, but he's also not stupid. Like he knows if we honor the things that he honors and he knows that if we hold in contempt the things that, 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 that he values. Like he's just, he's not stupid, you know? And so when we honor people that God wants us to honor, when we honor our brothers and sisters, when we honor our neighbors, our parents, our, our, our boss, like whomever, like is in our life and we're supposed to honor them and when we treat them with respect and when we, like it's not just about honoring people, it's, it's about learning to understand what God values and then valuing that above all things. Above like, you know, what I could have or what I could own or what I could wear or where I could live or what I could do or the conversations I could have or the friends I could make. It's just about recognizing things that are really important to God and realizing that when we choose that, the way that God sees us increases in his eyes. See, it's not weird for a a, a three-year-old to be concerned about how much TV they watch and not care about other things. But it would be weird for a 30-year-old, like if you still did that when you were 30, nobody could treat you like an adult. Do you know? And, and it's the same with us before God. There are those of us that have like, known the Lord for a very long time, but the way that we have behaved and the choices that we have made, God still treats us like we're toddlers. And he doesn't hate us. He loves us. We're still part of his family. But he can't treat us with any semblance of, of, of a let's have a conversation kind of, a kind of relationship. It's just like, you want a blessing? Okay, I'll bless you. I'll feed you. I'll keep you in your home. I'll make sure you have a job. Like he, still, he still treats us like, like you know we take from him and he gives to us, and that's all there is to it. And there are some of us that are, you know, I'm like 20 years old, but like, but the way that you've steered your walk with God, God is able to have conversations with you. He's able to explain things to you. You're able to have gain wisdom from Him. God cares about your opinion and what you want, and 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 the way that you think that things should go. Like we have the option to choose to have that kind of relationship with God. You know, when He says, "I no longer call you servants; I call you my friends," it's it's not like we all get to be God's friends now. It's that there is a path that you can actually walk in our life. You could walk with Him closely enough for long enough that He He begins to treat like a friend, not just like someone who needs to do what he asks you to do, although we should always do that, but he begins to treat you like someone that he actually dialogues with. And he actually wants, I, I want God to want to explain himself. I don't want, I, I don't want God to just be like, go do this, go do that, do the other. Now, sometimes I'm so clueless, I would give anything just for that. Just like, God, like Popeyes or KFC, just tell me. I'll do whichever one you want. I humbly submit myself. Do I have an opinion? Absolutely. And it should be double, fr- okay. but like, but like, but I'll just, just tell me and I'll do whatever you want. And like, there's some days I feel like that, but then uh, I'm just kidding, not about that stuff. I, I, but, but, but some days I feel like I'm just so, clue so direction is like God just tell me anything but there are lots of other times where like God explain yourself not in a um not in a mean way but just in like a really like I'm clueless kind of way like God explain yourself what do you want out of me what do you want out of our church what do you want out of our family what do you want out of our community what do you want out of the other people in our church because you know I also want to make sure that I understand what God is doing in our members lives and so you know God what do you want out of Ariel what do you want out of David what do you want out of you know like I just like try to understand and sometimes I, I really don't I have no vision but but there's an objective to actually try and and in order to do that God has to believe that he can explain himself to you and you would understand 
In order to do that, you have to make these decisions like time and time and time and time again where you learn how to value things that God values. And you can hold in contempt the things that God holds in contempt, but you can't hold in contempt the things that God values. And if that means that you eat boiled meat every day, that is a worthwhile price to pay so that you can, so that you can humble yourself under God and be a part of his story. Does that make any sense? We are always in this life fighting between like, what feels comfortable to us and what is convenient to us and what is nice to us and what our flesh likes and the things that will allow our spirit to grow. These things are always, 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 always in tension with each other. Like, I, I, and maybe there will come a time where they're not. Maybe there will come a time where you know, I'm just like starving because it's like you know, day two of fast or something like that. And I'll be like, I am so happy to be hungry. Like, I mean, but, you know, but maybe that day will come. I'm not there yet. If you are, you know, help us. Um, not there yet. Maybe that day will come. But as far as I can tell, every day, like at least now, it's, it's you know, what, does, what is comfortable to me and what should I do, you know? It would be more comfortable for me to sit down on my couch and do nothing. But what I should do is go to the gym and walk or jog for two miles or like four or however many, you know? Like it's just, like that is happening all the time in our lives. And the thing that, that you have to understand is that the way that you steward those things, it changes your stature before him and it changes your favor before him. And over long periods of time, as God does these big transitions from judges to prophets, from one house ruling to the other house ruling, which is happening in our generation. Like if you don't see it, it's because God hasn't brought you into it. <laughs> you know, it's happening in our generation. It's happening now. And it, it's not the hype stuff. It's not like, oh, we fill the stadium. Like, it, it's not that stuff. It, it's, there's, there's subtle things that where like the movement of the, like the movement of the spirit is changing directions. And um, I'm confident that it's happening today because there's nothing in our arsenal now that makes any difference in this generation. And, it, and I know that God is not powerless. So I know what's happening now. And I, I want us to be people that like, we don't want to be those that after it happens, we become historians of what has happened. You know? I, I, like, I want to, like, ideally, what the, before it happens, I'd be like, okay, God, just be like, you stand here and you do that, and then you'll be a part of the story. And that's, that's what I want um, to, to, to experience. And, um, and, and the only way to do that, honestly, is, is to make sure that the way that God sees you, he sees you um, not, not as a two-year-old, but he sees you in a way where he cares to bring you in to the things that he's doing so that you can be with him and he can be, he can be with you. And, um, and as Samuel grows up in the Lord, the Bible says, and this verse I just really love, that as Samuel grew up, that the Lord was with him and that the Lord did not allow any of his words to fall to the ground. That is the effect, the effect of a life where your stature has increased before the Lord so he treats you like, like an adult, essentially. And um, I desire that very much. Okay, here we go. All right. Um, uh, Cindy and team, uh, you guys can come back and um, we'll just pray for a little bit and, and sing for a little bit and then we'll wrap it up here. Um, but why don't you stand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for our people and we thank you, God, for, um, for you and for the opportunities that you've given to us in this life. And God, as we are uh, even here just enjoying our summer Father, I pray that we would never be deluded with the delusion that, that everything's always just going to be the way it is, and it's just one day after another, after another, after another, and it's just, it's just a, an endless series of days, because God, we know that that is not true. And God, I, 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 I believe in my heart very much that you are doing something new in this generation, in this season. And I don't know, God, if, it's, if we're going to see it come to pass this year or next year or next decade or the decade after. I don't know, God, when we, it's going to be obvious to everyone 
that you've changed directions. But God, before it's obvious to everyone, God, I want it to be obvious to this house and to our people and to this community and to our brothers and sisters. I want God to be a part of a church. Um, and I, I, I pray globally, like a part of a, a church, capital C, big church, big bride of Christ. I'm going to be part of a church, God, that is not clueless, that is not wandering aimlessly, but part of a church, God, that is leaning into you. Part of a church that is able to follow you. Part of a church, God, that is not just trying to figure out, you know, what new house to buy or what new car to get or what new vacation to go on or, or, or just, you know, going to, 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 to this thing and that thing and the other thing and, 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 and watching this movie and that movie. But I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would rescue us, God, from the feeling that every day is the same and there's nothing special about any day. And help us, God, to realize that every single day that we wake up and we stand before you and we call upon our names, your, your name, God, that it, it's, it's a special day to you, O oh Lord. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would treat every single day as precious and every day as a day of the Lord. And pray, O oh God, that we would set ourselves before you in such a way that you are able to move in us, that you're able to speak to us, that you're able to repel us forward, not in just a cycle, Lord, but forward into the next thing that you are doing. Father, I confess I have absolutely no idea how you're going to save this generation. But in my heart of hearts, I believe that you are going to do it. I believe, God, that we will not pass off of this earth with a generation that is overtaken by sexual sin and confusion and psychological issues and all sorts of other things that are plaguing this generation. God, I believe, Lord, that you will restore sanity to this culture. And I believe, oh Lord, that you will restore righteousness to this country, righteousness in this generation, righteousness, God, to this city, and to our campuses. And I believe, oh Lord, that you have put us here and that you are going to use us for this purpose and that you have not forgotten us, you have not left us behind, that we are not just you know, living, we are not just doing our life. And so I pray, Lord, that you would save us, God, from thinking that none of it matters and that we can hold you in contempt and hold our careers in contempt and hold the gifts that you've given to us in contempt and just live out the life that we want because we prefer certain things over others. Help us, God, save us, God, and bring us, God, into an immediate knowledge of you, into a fear of you, into a trembling before you, into a desire, God, to be right before you every single day and every single moment. We love you, God. And we pray for courage in our hearts, insight, wisdom, and vision, God, in our minds, in our spirits. We pray to be a people, God, that is not left behind, but a people, God, that are with you. Thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you for loving us. Help us, God, to be right with you, to walk with you, to not miss it. Help us, Jesus.